Well, good to see you all again. Thankful for the word brought already by Johnny. You guys awake? Co- oh, she's awake. Come on, girl. Good coffee. Was that coffee cake as well? Is that what we call it? Man, that was good. I'm not a big breakfast guy, so I didn't really eat this morning. And then I got hungry when I saw that. Who was at the, the chalet or whatever that big thing where I had the milkshake last night? It was called. Everybody? That's so fun. Anybody ride the bowl longer than 10 seconds on the, wait, but not the slow setting that you guys were doing. Anybody dial it up? Where's the dude that looks like Troy Palomalu? Where are you at? You here? Oh, my man. <laughs> yeah. Woo. You got up there. You dating somebody? You single? Woo! <laughs> My man. I'll tell you what, so modesty, we usually talk to the ladies about. I'm going to need to talk to you in front of everybody right now about modesty. So with your quads, no short shorts. No short shorts for you. You got, like, you got NFL linebacker quads, bro. You can't be causing women to stumble like that. <laughs> Woo! See, we always talk about modesty, and it's like sisters, you know, up and down, right? A little bit, here and there. But you, mm-mm. <laughs> Some of the dudes need to not be wearing no short shorts. So we're going to jump right in this morning to a message called Pathway to Purity. You've heard a little bit about biblical sex, a lot about it last night. We talked about it, got in depth from Song of Solomon. And then earlier, talking about a pure heart. And now I want to jump right in and stay pretty locked and dialed on the words of Paul the Apostle to the church at Thessalonica, the book of Thessalonians, the New Testament letter, 1 Thessalonians, and give you a pathway to purity. Some of you, by this point in our retreat, you're going, okay, I'm in. I'm in. You don't need to convince me. You don't need to try to twist my arm and say, you know, come on, be pure. I want to be pure. Now, can you show me not the what, but the how? So that's what we're going to do. The world says if it feels good, do it. If it looks good, got to have it. You want it. In 1 John 2, 15 to 17, John is writing to believers and he says, you are going to have some sin challenges in this world. And he says, do not love the world, but do the will of God. That's the big idea in 1 John 2, 15 to 17, where he mentions these three things. Maybe you've heard them before. If you're around church a little bit, or if you're new to church, you're going to hear this more and more. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the boastful pride of life. The lust of the eyes in that passage is what you see and the lie that, hey, it's only natural. You're just responding to your natural impulse. That's like the boys will be boys. Or she's a really good girl. She's just a little wild sometimes. That's, it's only natural. Lust of the eyes. The lust of the flesh is the driving desire to then act on what you've seen and act out the desires of the flesh. And then the boastful pride of life, people often think that's being cocky. It's actually not. He's using a word for life, not zoe life or a different word for life, except this one, the word for possessions or that which is life or sustaining life. So that's actually not just some cocky pride or ego. It's pride in possessions, meaning what you have. This whole world and its system, its way of thinking is you see it with your eyes. It's only natural. Go for it. You get it? You got it. And then what you are is what you have. So if she's looking good, that's a point of pride for you. Or if he's the man, that's a point of pride for you. Or even more further than simply showing everybody on the outside what you got, it's being with someone and saying, I got it, want to have it, I can get it, now I got it. And that takes us down the road to sexual exploitation, sexual immorality, sexual sin, and brokenness. The world does not care about God's way. The world promotes self pleasure. And so we get flings, open relationships, casual dating, no strings attached, sexting, people who think it's all good to have a a few boyfriends or a few girlfriends. 
They take that mentality into marriage and why the divorce rate is so high in an already sinfully broken world. Well, because people decide, well, I'm done with this model. I want to buy a new one, like a car. You trade it in every three years, get something newer, a newer model. That's not real love. That's lust. And how many understand that's going to leave you empty? It's going to leave you broken. When you have a family involved and when you have other people involved, it destroys the relationships around you. God's plan is perfect. It's filled with unconditional, vibrant love, fulfilling relationships. That's why He wants you on the pathway to purity. How do we get there? Well, if you go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, you'll see some instructions from the Apostle Paul to a church that was essentially pretty good. They weren't really doing bad things. Overall, they were commended for being very good. But even in all their good deeds, Paul wants them to keep one thing in mind. It is simply the phrase, keep going. See, the Christian life isn't like this mountain peak, you reach the top of it. Purity is not like this mountain peak, you reach the top of it. Much like Johnny just mentioned about sex, you reach the pinnacle of it and you're going, all right, there's this phrase we use in our house, there's no there, there. What does no there, there mean? Well, how many times do you say, if I just get there, then I'll really be happy. And then you get there and you go, okay, there's a next there I want to get to. If I just had more money, if I just got there, if I just got a boyfriend or a girlfriend, if I just got married, if I just, we just had a house, if, if I just got that job, if I just got that opportunity, that internship, that scholarship, that, that, there, there. You get there and you realize there is no there, there. Well, so it is with the Christian life. You're growing, you're thriving, you're pure. You're like, okay, good. Is this thing done yet? Like, now what? Keep going. Keep striving in the grace of God. Keep seeking to do what Paul says more and more. In 1 Thessalonians 4, 1, he says, Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us how you ought to walk, how you should live, and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. He's saying to the Thessalonians, you're doing awesome. Now I want you to keep going. You're doing all the right things. Keep going going. Picture this talk, this statement, and even my message to you here as sort of family time. You get the family together. You go, hey guys, brothers, sisters, family, this is how our family does it. You have an identity. You have a family and a father. You're rocking this jersey. You play for this team. You're His. Now, because you are His and you remember who you belong to, keep on going this way. The Thessalonians were doing good. They were learning. They were listening. They were putting these things into practice. Paul says, I want you to do so more and more. And in that, we find point number one, if you're jotting down notes, your motivation for sexual purity is to please God. You want to do so more and more, not to earn favor with God, not to earn salvation from God, but because you love God. Sexual purity issues are affection issues. Do you love God more than your fleshly desires? Do you love His way more than your way? People often say, you know, stay pure and do it for your fill in the blank with me. Yourself. Spouse, future spouse, yes. Do it for your future husband, your future wife. Do it for them. And, and why does that not really work? Because it's not enough. You don't know who they are. You don't feel the feels for them. We're not there yet. So you tell me, do it for my future spouse. I'm like, but I got this right in front of me. Instant gratification. The idea that you, you can have it now, so just do it, and then let all that other stuff work it out. People say, do it to make your parents proud of you. Well, that's not enough, because you ain't living for your parents. Sometimes young women 
Dad takes you out on a, on a date, father-daughter date, and gives you what? Purity ring. I'm giving you this ring. I want you to keep yourself pure. Your mother and I love you so much. I'm your father. I want the best for you. And one day this ring will be replaced by another ring. And I want to give you to that man a pure, unstained, holy, righteous, undefiled little girl. And you're like, Daddy, is this about you? Because it kind of seems like it's all about you. And you're looking at me like I'm your little girl, and you, you want to hand me off, you know, perfect. I, okay, okay, Daddy, I feel the pressure. I'll do it. I got my purity ring. I do it for my purity ring. Now, those things are all good things. You want to please your parents. You love them. They love you. They try to raise you right. You, you got a purity ring as a symbol of your commitment to God and to obedience to your earthly father. Sure, that's a good thing. That's not bad. And, and you do want to do it for your future spouse if you got a lot of problems from sexual promiscuity. You'll have all sorts of issues in life. STDs are real. Emotional abuse. The heart growing cold. Those things are real. Those are very common. It's not even weird to say in a setting like this with the high percentages of sexual immorality in the world today and premarital sex and casual sex. Sexually transmitted diseases are a very normal thing now in this generation. So you want to do purity for your future spouse? Sure. It's kind of something that's really nice, maybe. Don't bring a lot of diseases into your marriage. But even then, unbelievers wouldn't want to necessarily do that. That's just civil virtue. How many understand that when an unbeliever doesn't drink and drive because they don't want to go to jail or kill someone, that that's not a real sign of heart transformation. That's behavior modification. Hey, don't punch someone. You're going to go to jail for assault, right? Very normal. It's not about Jesus. Hey, hey, don't talk to a woman that way. You're going to get a real bad reputation. Don't show up late for work 10 days in a row. You're going to get fired and have no money. Don't say really dumb things on social media because you're going to get unfollowed, blocked, or ignored, or look just crazy. That's all civil virtue. God doesn't say, don't have sex for some mere civil moral reason. There's a deeper drive. Your motivation for him isn't, well, I want God to love me, and I want my daddy to be proud of me, and I don't want to get STDs. It's a simple question. Do you love Jesus more than the fleeting pleasures of this world? It's an affection issue, an affection of the heart. Very often, we get a God complex with all these other areas. They become a sort of little God. They replace love for a heavenly Father. And I'll tell you what, it's no different than when people do their Bible reading plans and they think that that's what it takes to be a thriving Christian, and they click the little version reading plan, and then they get 195 days in and they tweet about it or hit the gram on the stories, and look at me, woo! Doesn't mean anything about the heart. Anybody with a little bit of discipline can read for five minutes, click the button that they did it, and say, whoop, whoop, I'm keeping my New Year's resolution. Look at me, I'm a super Christian. No, you're not. You're just good at reading, clicking a button, and following the rules. Once again, that's not heart transformation. That is just behavior. God wants more. You know, the Pharisees mentioned last session how good they were at looking religious on the outside. Jesus calls them at one point whitewashed tombs. Why? Because they were cold as a corpse on the inside. They were so good at saying things with their lips but their hearts were so far from God. So what I don't want you doing is approaching purity with that mentality. We've got enough Pharisees in the world, we don't need any more. You don't approach purity like, look at me, I'm nailing it. It's about the heart. 
There's a story that Jesus tells about two men that came into the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, the other was a nasty, former, scamming tax collector called a publican. Both these guys walk into the temple to pray. Anybody ever heard the story? They both pray prayers. The publican comes in. He won't even look up because he doesn't want no part of up. He looks down. He knows who's up there. And he beats his chest. And he says, God, be merciful to me, definite article, the sinner, fully aware that he is a sinful, wretched person in need of the mercy of God. I want you to picture that person right now as the person who has lost their V-card, blown it eight ways from Sunday, they have been called different slang words to describe a loose gal or a dirty guy, and that's them. And they come to God. Purity ring. They nowhere near them. Or if they had one, they're hiding it, and when daddy's around, they're wearing it. That's this person. And I want you to come over to the other side with me and think about the Pharisee that Jesus describes. He comes in and oh, he's ready to look up because he's ready for God to see all his righteousness. And he says, oh God, I thank thee that I'm not like other people. I tithe on everything I make. I follow all the rules. I keep your laws. Oh God, I pray so many times every day. Look at my robes. Look at my phylacteries, they used to be called. Look at my big beard. My puffy chest. My high position. We need to be very careful when we're talking about purity that just because we're nailing it or keeping it or renewed in it that we don't come off like this guy. God wants us all over here. The renewed sinner saying, God, I am just thankful for another day of mercy. When I hear about a pathway to purity, I don't feel guilt and shame. I, I just feel humility and gratitude. The tears that I shed when I think of where I was, just because of where now I see that I am, because of you, I'm crying tears of joy. I'm thankful. Do I want that former way? No. If I have children one day, do I want them to ever be like I was? No, but I'm thankful and I'm fully aware. The Bible describes this as being humble. James says that God opposes the proud and he gives grace to the humble. So every single one of you in this room that have blown it sexually, if you stay right here like our publican friend, you are right where God wants you. Favor and grace and mercy are for you. And every single one of you that are nailing it, if you stay here too and remember that just because you didn't have sex before marriage, You've still lied, stolen, slandered, had pride, disobeyed, lived for you, and God opposes the proud. Did you know that it's very scriptural to say that God could even more severely oppose a virgin little rule follower who behaves like a Pharisee and yet pour grace upon a prostitute who is humble and repentant. That's the attitude we take when we think about our motivation for purity. I want to please the Lord. Be very careful, you who say you are Christians, with bringing out and bringing up and judging based on the past of the now repentant sinner. I grew up in a, in a framework of theology that was not merely Pentecostal, it was, it was hyper-charismatic in the sense that we believed in something called soul ties and generational curses. And because you had premarital sex with someone, you were now soiled. And everybody with a virgin daughter in the church kept 
them all away from you. It doesn't matter if you are repentant. You were supposed to then marry some other perverted soul. So the two Christians who have been saved could be together and have their generation. But the virgins needed to marry the virgins. It was entirely cult-like, very legalistic. Maybe some of you can relate to that. One time I wasn't allowed to date a gal because she had come from a family with divorce in its lineage, and the curse of divorce would then hit our house. Another gal that I wanted to date for a brief time uh, was loving the Lord and serving the Lord, but she had a past, and I wasn't allowed to date or court her because her past would then soil the anointing on my life. That thinking is nowhere in Scripture. Jesus invited tax collectors and prostitutes to the table so long as they were repentant. You think that God doesn't give people a new heart? He can't give people a new heart because some theological, extreme, cult-like, weird man-made theology is, is more powerful? Absolutely not. So you don't ever listen to somebody who tells you because you come from a family where there's divorce, or you come from a situation that was impure, or you come from a union that was polluted by sin, that now you're somehow not good enough to marry or date or be with someone who has been raised in church and been godly. God gives everyone a fresh slate, a new start, and a new heart when they come like the publican. So how do we live now? 1 Corinthians 10.31, whether you eat, whether you drink, you do all for the glory of God. Understanding that loving Him and pleasing Him alone is your motive. Number two, jumping into the text here, verses two through five, for you know what instructions we gave you, he says to the Thessalonians, through the Lord Jesus, so this is directly from God, for this is the will of God. God, if you've ever wondered, what's God's will for my life? I don't know. Should I get this job, this job, that job? There's a lot of mystery there to God's will. Like, should you marry this woman or this woman or this guy or this guy? They're both amazing. They're both godly. I don't know. Just pray and make the decision that most closely aligns with His Word. Some of the elements of God's will are a mystery. This is called in Scripture His secret will. Like, when is Jesus going to return? Or what's going to happen tomorrow? It's a mystery. But how many understand there's God's revealed will or His decreed will, that which has been made clear in Scripture? This is one of those moments. So if you're ever in a compromising situation and you think, well, God wants me to enjoy my life, right? God wants me to have fun. He wants me to experience the pleasure of of sex and of relationships. Doesn't He? Well, if you are not in a marriage relationship with one man, one woman, You can look and see, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. Big church word, big theology word simply means your purity, your set-apartness, your cleanliness, your spiritual growth. Sanctification is the concept of God carving out your sins, all of you and the filth that is you, emptying you of that and filling you for His use with His glory. Sanctification is you're not who you used to be, but you're not yet who you're going to be. Philippians 1.6, one of my favorite passages in all of the Bible, says, he who began a good work in you will perfect it till the day of Christ Jesus. What does that mean? It means that when I have a day of sinful struggle or insensitivity or a bad attitude or you wrestle with some sin that day and you think, man, I'm probably not even saved now. Or did I just lose my salvation? Or, oh, God's probably so mad at me. I blew it. Who cares? Might as well not even try. Oh, this stuff's not working. You can go to Philippians 1.6 and say, oh, he who began a good work in me, he'll perfect it. He'll mature it. He'll complete it until the day of Christ. Got it. So tomorrow can be a better day than today in Christ. That's sanctification. Paul says that's God's will for you. 
And then he goes further that you abstain from sexual immorality. Now he's dialing in what kind of sanctification. He's saying, I want you to be clean and growing in this area, that sexual immorality would be away from you, that each one of you would know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles do. What is he saying? He's saying this is the way the world does things. They just give into their passions and have sex with whoever they want, whenever they want. Men at that time were incredibly abusive. There was usury of women constantly. In fact, in some Jewish writings, man-made traditions, not the God of the Old Testament, Mosaic law type of approach, but more of a man-made assessment, there were even times where if she burnt or ruined the dinner, if she didn't make the food the way he wanted, if she did not please him with her countenance, he could file a certificate of divorce and be done with her. Y'all think I'm crazy, but it's true. But see, it's not that crazy. What do we have now? No fault divorce. You know, I don't like you anymore. Hmm, that's funny. I haven't liked you for a while. Sounds good. Lawyer up, bud. Hmm. Already did. No fault divorce. So we can make fun of the Jewish people and the Romans and the Greeks and say, oh, what a bunch of crazies, having sex with everyone, doing whatever they want, divorcing whoever they want, 15 concubines here, two girls on the side there, running around town. Oh, wait a minute, that's California. God wants us pure, holy, righteous, devoted, committed, and what is that? That's self-control. When you look at something or someone and you say, oh, praise God for, for their wonderful union. Hey, thank the Lord that they're so happy. I'm so content with my lot in life. I'm so grateful for the commitment I have. I also realize that there is a line I do not cross because I'm in Christ. Why? Because I live to please Christ. My affection for Him is greater than my desire to have that thing, I can control myself. Did you know that one of the greatest qualities in a man or a woman is self-control? We talked about it a little bit last night for the ladies when we called y'all prudes. Remember that? Root word of prudent. That being an insult in today's world, but in the church world, for believers, what a compliment. If you are a prude, God bless you, sister. That means you're under control. That means you're controlling your body. That means you're presenting yourself in a way that bothers the men that want to use you. Praise God for you. You are repelling the perverts, the users, the abusers, the bad boys, the guys that say things like, yeah, treat them like dirt and they'll stick like mud. Thinking if you mistreat gals, they'll want you more. Let me keep her guessing. Let me ghost her. Make her want me more because I'm playing hard to get. All that junk, they'll never want you because you're not easy. You don't even play the game. Prude. Good. Proud of you. You fellas, when you have self-control, you know you're a man who can be trusted when you're alone with your phone in marriage? Because here's another lie. You're going to get married, have lots of sex, and you'll never be tempted with pornography again. You look at the statistics, some of the highest users of porn are married men. Why? They had expectations of this woman that she was going to be everything that their dirty fantasies desired her to be. Turns out she's a godly woman. She won't act like that whenever they want. And they go, well, I'll just grab my phone and somebody else will do it. But if you're a man under self-control, what a blessing, what a treasure, what a gift, what a Christ-like loving leader you are as you exercise a purity with affection for Christ and you have control over your body. You know what else she can trust you with? Work trips, a career where you go on your own somewhere and she doesn't have to wonder. She can trust you in your texting, in your DMing, in your emailing, in your looking, in your walking, in your shopping, in all of it. She knows her man is her man. 
Self-control, one of the greatest qualities that you young men could begin to exercise now in contrast to the world. Romans 6 describes this in verses 11 to 14. You must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Sin wants you to obey it. It comes to the door and says, come on, I want to be the boss and you have to put sin in its place. Paul says, do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under the law, but under grace. He's saying, look, you've got a responsibility in this. Yeah, God's sovereign. That's awesome. But it doesn't mean you are not responsible for your actions. You can either present yourself to sin and mess around with the line, or you can present yourself to God and watch as He uses you and He takes over for His glory and your good. Very often, the the world's thinking creeps in, though, to the Christian mind. If it feels good, do it. Then another one, follow your heart. Anybody heard that? Anybody say it? It's okay. You can still repent. That's why we're here. Follow your heart. Taylor Swift lied to you. You follow your heart. You know where your heart will take you? Jeremiah 17, 9 says the heart above all else is what? Oh, some of you have been reading your Bibles. Deceitful, which means your heart lies to you. My heart lies to me. What do I trust? Not what I feel, but what I know. The mind is what you have to go with over your feelings. Your feelings will make you do really foolish things, won't they? I was watching a video the other day on Instagram, just like unsaved, weird, like Hindu guru dude, probably believes in like 5,000 gods. So not even a Christian idea. And he goes, you know what, with his thick accent, don't know where it was from, but it was cool. He just sounded smarter because he had this really cool, like hybrid British Indian accent. He said, you know what the secret to life is? And everyone's like, oh, it's like 5 million views already. The secret to life is the mind. And he like looks in the camera and you're like, ooh. Many people follow what they feel, but the mind is the secret. And everyone's like, wow, that's profound. And the reel ends. It's like four seconds of just, and you're supposed to click and follow. So I click and check it out some more. Dude says some other things that are just flat out weird. But overall, View after view, millions upon millions, shares upon shares, and everyone's thinking, that is profound. Do you know who started that idea first? God. When he presents to the church, Paul, to Corinth, which by the way, Corinth was like Vegas on steroids, sexual sin everywhere, he says to them that Satan goes for this. Seeking to blind the mind of unbelievers, spiritual warfare, seeking to assault the mind of the unbeliever. He says he comes looking like a worker of righteousness or an angel of light to the church at Corinth. In Ephesians 6, with the armor of God, he again presents so many defensive items in the armor of God and one offensive weapon, which is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word. But everything else is defensive, including the helmet of salvation to protect the mind. He says in Philippians 4, there at the end, verses 8 and 9, to dwell on whatever is right and pure and lovely and true, worthy of excellence. Why? Because Paul knew the battle in life, the battle for purity, the battle for your walk with the Lord is here. Even the most perfectly outwardly moral person has a dirty mind. The mind is the last great battleground. And so, you do not follow your heart, you renew your mind. The world also says you only live once. Y'all heard of YOLO? That's a lie, you live twice. Once on this side of death and once on the other side. Heaven or hell? Eternity with God, your eternity in a literal hell. You don't live once, you live twice. Another one, if you got it, flaunt it. Beyonce started that. And young Christian women think, well, I, how am I going to get a man if I don't show like a little bit? 
I'm not being ungodly. I'm just, I'm just trying to show a bit of what I got because I got it. So it's like a sanctified version of that. It's all the same. The world says if you got it, flaunt it. Even Christian girlfriends or professing Christian girlfriends telling their gal friends like, hey, you, you look good. Like You need to show that off a little more, girl. Look at you. That's power. It's a feminism. Not a godly woman. If she got it, she's pumped to flaunt it in the bedroom for her husband one day, but not for everybody else. The world also is very prideful. Don't hate me because you ain't me. The more boys I lead on, the more powerful I am. I got them all in tow. The more girls you sleep with or you conquer, man, the more powerful you are. We've got like a, an epidemic of that in the world today. You understand that? Men that they text you, and they, they slide in those DMs, y'all know, and they lure you in. A little Snapchat, a little FaceTime, a little Hangout. And then all of a sudden, you never hear back from them. Why? Because they conquered you. They got you. He didn't want to marry you. The guy who actually wants to marry you, date you, court you, he's like on your curb outside. He's like, can I talk to your dad? <laughs> You're like, why do you want to talk to my dad? Because I just want to let him know, I mean, I, I ain't playing. Well, what are you not playing with? I ain't playing with dating you. What, are you trying to marry me like next week? Well, no, I just want to make sure your father knows that I'm a man who's stable, self-controlled, and I'm, I'm here to be clear about my intentions so that when I pull up on this curb, I'm not some dude honking the horn like, what's up, girl? I am here to be a man, shake his hand, look him in the eye, and ensure there's an understanding with his permission and his blessing if there's a father in your life, or at least a pastor, or a counselor, a small group leader, somebody, there's some sort of authority in your life. And I come and I, I let them know who I am. I'm not a ghost in the night. I'm not a dude in the DMs. They know me. I am character recognized. The world, everybody's in the shadows. One more lie, the more I act out my sexuality, the more grown up I am. And so we, we, we get sucked into that lie from the world. If I, if I do all these things, I'm showing that I have experience. I'm living life. All lies. All of that leads to broken hearts, diseases, divorces, depression, and even suicide. None of it leads to purpose. Nobody is happier because they gave away more. It creates an addiction to feeling loved in all the wrong ways. This is why some girls can never stop trying to be noticed by boys because they have been trained by their own selfish and sinful lusts or the influence and or of others that that is where they get their affirmation from. This is why some young men are always trying to prove their manhood by preying upon young women to show that they're the man when really they are a little boy playing manhood that really isn't godly manhood. God has a better way. These are the kinds of people who end up in divorce court. Paul says people who don't know God act that way. And you know what? Let's be very careful. Let me add an addendum. Stop getting mad at unbelievers for unbelieving because sinners going to sin. Paul says, what do we have to do with judging outsiders? So even as I talk about the world's way, I'm not down on all them, like look at all those sinful, wicked people out there. No, no, no. I'm saying that's how they act. That's normal. I am mad at Taylor Swift for writing Taylor Swift songs. That's what Taylor Swift does. I am mad at Bieber for being Biebs. That's what Biebs does. The church, though, is called to be different, amen? If you say you're a Christian, act like a Christian. If you say you're not, go on and be not a Christian. Do you know that's why the Lord says, if you're lukewarm, I'll what? Spit you out. 
Why? He'd rather you be cold than lukewarm. And isn't it that way for all of us? I got here yesterday. I just wanted to take a shower, a simple shower. And I turn on the shower in the, the thing, and I'm, I'm like nervous because it's freezing up here. I'm from Arizona now. And, I, and it's just the water is freezing, like ice cold. And I'm turning it left to hot. It's where hot is. And it's still freezing. So I'm like, I'm going to give it a few minutes. I give it like three, four minutes. It's still freezing. I turn it to the middle. And it starts getting a little bit warmer. And I'm like, oh, maybe I found it. So I turn it back to the left. I'm like, maybe it had to like be recalibrated. I need to jolt it. So I go back left. Freezing. Back to the middle. Lukewarm. And I'm like, I can't shower in that. I'm getting frustrated because lukewarm is worse than cold. At least if I know I got to do a cold shower, I'm like, (sighs) and then out. We're aware. Expectations breed frustration. Well, I don't get frustrated because my expectations are it's going to be freezing. So I get in like that. Go lukewarm. It's still, it's like a tease. And then I think, you know what? I bet you the utility guy out here couldn't figure something out at some point or the piping's just what it is and the hot's on the other side. And so I turn it to what is usually cold and it's scalding hot. (laughs) And Costi's a very happy preacher. (laughs) I'll take a freezing cold shower any day because I know what I'm getting. I hate it, but I'll take it. I'll take a hot, hot shower any day because I know what I'm getting. It's what I want. And that's what I got, but that lukewarm stuff, not hot, but not cold. Like, oh, if it was just a little warmer, or if it's going to be this temperature, who cares anyway? God looks at the spiritual condition of man the same way. Be one or the other. Don't live in the middle. The world's the world, but if you are a Christian, you are called to honor God in your priorities, so are you one? Is His glory on your radar? Well then, his will is that you abstain from any kind of sexual immorality outside of marriage. Yes, that's what this means. It should be challenging to you, to those of you in the room that aren't really sure about your faith. That may seem daunting. That's the standard. To those of you in the room that are a believer, that's clear. And it should still be a comfort to you. You think of fire, right? One of the oldest illustrations and still one of the best. God made sex to be its best, most useful, most purposeful in a fireplace, so to speak. Sex in the right place. You all have a lot of fires out here in California now. I used to live here, but now I talk like I'm from Arizona. I've only been there two years. I'm a California guy. So many fires out here. Why? Well, fires get out of hand. God's design for your purity is that you wait until you can light the fire in the right way in the right place so that it can burn bright. There's a lot of things in life that have good use. Like, for example, a chainsaw. When you're out in a forest cutting down trees, you want a good, big chainsaw. If I brought a chainsaw in right now as an illustration of my sermon and started sawing the pulpit table in half or just going, this looks fun, cut the mic and hey, the guitar, that's wood, and chop that and do one of these down the middle of the keyboard. All the vandalizers and crazy people like me in the room would be laughing because it's kind of crazy. You just want to see if it really will do what it does and you know it's going to do what it does. It's a good tool, has good use, wrong place, wrong time, destruction. So it is with sex. God's got great use for it. Right place, right time. And so you got to understand that God's will for you is that you be sexually pure. There's more here, though. Uh, Third, your rampant sexual sin, it will be judged by God. He's not just immune to it. 
In verses 6 and 7, he says uh, that no one transgresses and wrong his brother in the matter because the Lord is an avenger in all these things. He's carrying on the thought. As we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you, for God has not called us to impurity, but in holiness, this is the OG avenger, God before marvel. He will avenge sexual immorality. He will deal with the one who is hurting other people through their sexual sin. This is a very serious statement. It is exactly what it looks like. If we are acting with injustice through our sexual exploits, God will deal with it. This is what Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians 5 when he tells the Corinthians to put the wicked man out from among them and literally to hand him over to Satan. Some people, if we said that today, they'd be like, that is so unloving, that is so ungracious, that is just terrible. Whoever would do that? Where is that in the Bible? 1 Corinthians 5. That man at Corinth was having sex with his father's wife. You figure that one out. Rampant, unrepentant, no one was saying anything. And Paul came with his Holy Spirit hammer, and it was the time for it. It wasn't unloving. Today's tolerant narrative culture, like, hey, just love people. You take that approach when men or women are using, abusing, and exploiting people sexually, that's going to be judged by God. We are so diluted, so pounded with the narrative of tolerance that in many ways we've gone from, yes, showing grace to people and, yes, showing love to people to, to not speaking truth, though, to people. Ephesians 4.15 says we're to speak the truth in love. Do you know the most hateful thing you could ever do is hold back truth from somebody? And yet, the tolerance narrative is pumped over and over and over, and people say, well, I don't want to call them out on their stuff. You know, like, we're all sinners. Paul says, yeah, I know we're all sinners. That's, that's great. We're aware of that. But that's unrepentant, and that needs to stop, and God will avenge it and deal with it if you don't. So there is a point in time where we have to read a passage like this and say, okay, no one transgress and wrong his brother or family member, his sister, brother and sister in the Lord in this matter, because the Lord will not overlook it. He takes it very seriously. This is a warning and a reminder that our sexual sin doesn't just hurt us, it hurts other people. You're impacting lives. And if you're a believer, that should bother you. You're supposed to care if you're a believer. If you're an unbeliever, unbeliever is going to unbelieve, like I said already. But if you are a follower of Jesus, that should bother you. And so, young men, you don't have any right to touch a woman any way you want if you are a Christian. You don't have any right to impose your desires just because you want to. Your rampant sexual sin will be judged by God. And young women, do not hear what I am not saying in this statement because I'm not saying it. This is what I'm not saying. That you, being prudent and godly, are still responsible somehow, some way, when a man imposes himself upon you or flirts with you or is sinful. And so somehow if you were to warn a, a thicker parka, and your dress would have gone past your ankles, and you would have just covered your face like Muslim women do, that then that wouldn't have happened? No, that's a lie. Sinful men have always been sinful men. So don't hear what I'm not saying here. It is a man's fault for his own sin, regardless of the way you are. However, there's two sides to the coin here. You understand what I am saying now is when you put yourself out there looking for it and you dress to get it, you are drawing sinful men, no doubt. It's the if you got it, flaunt it. And then we're not supposed to be surprised when the dirty dudes come hanging around you because you've been projecting that image to them going, yeah, look, hey, here I am. Because we already know that loose women dress loose. 
So it's the man's fault, no doubt, but there are many times where God looks at the heart of that woman and she knows what she's doing and she even looks in the mirror before she goes out and says, oh, this is going to just get them all tonight. That is also sin, sisters. And so be very careful of ever feeling guilt and shame when you've been godly, no doubt. Don't you let anyone put that on you. But also be very careful of presenting yourself on purpose. The Holy Spirit will lead you in that. There'll be conviction in your own heart regarding that. There are certainly people that are excited about legalism with regards to that, so you be very careful, and you pray even before putting an outfit on. This is a great practice. I would talk to my own daughters this way. If they were kind of on the fence about something, I'd go, sweetheart, I, you know, I, it looks kind of normal to me, but you, you know your heart. You look pretty modest, pretty proper. You look trendy. You don't need to wear a parka. Be Amish. But you know in your heart. So if there's some part of you that's like, this is going to get them all, look, well, then that's you and the Lord need to go and pray on that one. In the same way, I'll talk to my sons and brothers. We need to talk to one another this way. If you are relentlessly pursuing a woman and pressuring a woman because you want something that is outside of God's design, you are beyond your rights. God will judge. He will deal with those who damage His sons and daughters. The sin of lust is the sinner's problem. No excuses. But we all also must look within our own heart. Psalm 119, 133 says, Keep steady my steps according to your promise. Let no iniquity get dominion over me. That's the goal. Not to allow sin and lust to take dominion over us. So we honor and respect one another in our quest for purity. He's called you to live for holiness. Finally, your rampant sin will not just be judged by God, but your indifference to sexual purity is indifference to God. This all comes back to you and God. Your affection for Him. In verse 8, he says, Therefore, whoever disregards this, this is the command to be sexually pure, disregards not man, but God who gives His Holy Spirit to you. So once again, it is between you and the Lord. My job, Johnny's job, your pastors, your leaders' jobs, each other with each other. Your jobs is to put truth in front of one another. But in the end, the issue of sexual purity is ultimately an issue of your heart with God. There'll be a lot of people who speak into your purity. But in the end, if you disregard God's instruction for your purity, if you turn your back on what we're talking about, you're not offending me. You're not sinning against your pastor or your parents. It's not my word. I'm not judge and jury in that sense. You don't need to come in and repent to me. It's between you and God. You may let down a lot of people, but I don't ever want you thinking that that compares to you sinning against a holy God. I don't care who's still mad at you as long as you're right with the Lord. I don't care who still holds your past above your head if you've repented and been washed clean by the blood of the Lamb and the word of His testimony by grace through faith. I ain't worried about all that. You shouldn't be worried about it either. You are right with the judge. That's Paul's goal as well. I want to finish with four practical steps for your purity. You write these down and, and we'll pray and call it. Number one, delayed gratification over instant gratification. Delayed gratification over instant gratification. People use this all the time, this phrase, for investing, for, for health, food health, all that. I didn't do it this morning with the coffee cake, right? That was instant gratification. What delayed gratification would have been was I'm going to wait, and then I'm going to have a salad, and then go exercise. But I wanted instant gratification. So I got my sugar hit, instant 
Silly illustration, though, of what we do often in life with serious things like sexual purity. I want it now. I want to feel it now. I want to do it now. And God calls you to a delayed gratification, a greater glory and a greater experience and a greater result down the road, a little bit delayed as you wait over instant gratification, which does promise immediate feelings, but long-term damage. And so you, you, you can think of your future. You ought to and are welcome to think about your marriage one day. Most of you will get married. If you don't, you have the gift of singleness, okay? But a helpful step is to think of what is to come. And that just doesn't include your happy little marriage because you waited or if you had blown it, you then were renewed in that desire to wait and you waited the next time around. No, this is even thinking of eternity with God when you face the Lord one day. Number two, run from whatever compromises your purity. I'm sure this is going to come up. It already has, and it will again. I'm certain of that with where Johnny's taking you after this. But 1 Corinthians 6, 18 to 19, literally says flee from sexual immorality. It doesn't mean like tippy-toe away and look back 17 times. It means flee, run. I'm out. And these are application points, so let's get real practical. Throw your cell phone out the window. If you live at home, confess it to the people you not in a million years would tell, your parents. It's going to be one of the most uncomfortable conversations you've ever had. That's a good thing. And let me add another layer as a dad, and this one would kill me one day. It'd be painful, but we all need it. One of the best things you can do for your parents if you've been living a lie and they think you are little miss or little Mr. Perfect is tell them the whole truth and nothing but the truth. They need it. Because right now they're flying high in the lie. Telling all their friends at work, oh, our daughter, (laughs) she's just amazing. Your son really needs to meet her. And then the reputation has already spread, but no one's told the parents. And they're going around flaunting little Miss Thang, who's so perfect and good and everyone knows she's not, please do your parents a favor and, and crush them with the truth in a good way so that they can be faced with the gospel they believe and realize, oh, our house needs it too. Our daughter needs it too. We're not so far gone that we also don't need the gospel we say we believe. It's one of the best things in the world for your home. And I know that scares some of you to death, so do it. Break your laptop. Run it over with your car. I don't care. Get rid of it. Give it away. Break up with your boyfriend. So some of you, this retreat's a wake up. That's good. Some of you, this retreat's a break up. That's good. Like two boxers, y'all need to go to your corners and be dealt with, sprayed down with some cold water before you come back to the center of the ring again. I'm telling you right now, the Holy Spirit, he'll be convicting you. You'll feel a little knot in your stomach. You'll be either really annoyed with me right now or you'll go, is he serious right now? Oh my goodness, that's me. Is he talking to me? Does he know? Did Johnny tell him? I didn't tell Johnny. Does someone know? Yeah, that's all just the Holy Spirit in you right now. You having a moment. That's the breakup call. It's getting on the Wi-Fi if you need to. And shooting a text, we need to talk if they're not here. Your sexual sin is not a joke. Flee from sexual immorality. When Paul says that, he's not saying, well, they're a really good person. We just, we just need to like, we just need some accountability. No, you need a breakup. And then if the Lord allows you to come back together in godliness, praise God. Some of you need to cancel the date that's coming up this week. Some of you aren't going to listen to me, so you don't cancel it, and then you end up at the restaurant, and you hear the sound of my voice this week. (laughs) You ready for this? I'm going to mess you up. You're stuck with it now. Nothing you can do will escape this statement. Leave the restaurant. You'll know it. 
Because he starts talking, and you start thinking of this retreat, and you go, oh, no. <laughs> it's that guy. <laughs> you just tell him, I got to go. I'm so sorry. But if we're being honest, you don't say you're sorry because you're not. <laughs> I got to go. I can't explain it. I just got to go. See ya. Out. But the bill, you should be paying for it anyway. <laughs> and some of you, you didn't listen to break up, cancel the date, leave the restaurant. So now I got one for you. In the middle of that moment, when you sense so strongly in your heart, in that apartment, that dorm room, that house, that back seat, wherever it ends up being, and you feel that little thing starting in your stomach and you know it. You go, oh, because John 16 says the Holy Spirit convicts the world of unrighteousness. All people feel that. Believers run to it. Unbelievers run from it back into their sin. You leave your shoes at the front door. Buy another pair. You run. You are out. You tell them just mail my stuff. You run as fast as you can the minute you feel that conviction. And the Lord is so gracious. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13 says, no temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. That means that everybody's tempted that way. And God who is faithful will not tempt you beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide a way of escape also that you may be able to endure it. God is so good that he gives you the out when you're supposed to cancel the date. He gives you the out when you see the DMs and you know he's not the right guy or she's not the right gal. He gives you the out at the restaurant. He gives you the out when you're getting in the car. He gives you the out when they're reaching for the door handle. He gives you the out when the clothes are starting to come off. He gives you the out through every step. And all you need to do is take it. His word gives you permission. Don't you worry about offending nobody. Don't you worry about what they're going to think. You focus on what your heavenly Father thinks. You respond to the Holy Spirit. If you are His, you live for Him. That's the call to flee sexual immorality. And with that, number three and number four, view your body as a temple, not a tool. You are a house of worship. So one simple question. Is that worship? Whatever you're doing, can you worship God with that? When you're married, even sex is an act of beautiful worship unto God, enjoyment for the glory of God. Whatever you're doing, can you worship with that? Fourth, your past doesn't have to dictate your future. We're ending there. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if any man or woman be in Christ, they are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Your past, I already know the percentages, you don't need to raise your hand. Most, if not all, but definitely most of this room has fallen into sexual sin at one point in their life, or you are in it right now. Your past, including one minute ago, and five seconds ago does not need to dictate your future. When you are in Christ, you are made new. He has better plans for you, more blessings in store for you. If you will say, Lord, I repent. I don't want my way anymore. I want your way. Make my heart want that. My heart is deceitful. I need you to open my eyes, be my strength. Be my joy, be my hope, be my peace, be my Savior. He'll do it if you'll simply ask. That's all where the pathway to purity begins. And honestly, it's, it's how you get there and how you stay there. On into life, marriage, and even after that. Without the gospel, do not ever forget, this is all just behavior modification. It's Jesus who handles heart transformation.
So give your life, your purity, your past, your present, and your future to Him. Amen? Let me pray for you guys. Father, I lift up this group to you. And I pray that whatever situation they find themselves in, you will help them be strong, secure, and flee from sexual immorality. That they would never run from the conviction of the Holy Spirit, but they would run to it. That they would be willing to be mocked, abandoned, blocked, ghosted, laughed at, sneered at, if it meant your pleasure and your joy. That their affection for you would burn greater than the fires of their lust and the noise of this world. That you would shut up the evil one, push away the temptations of darkness, and draw them to yourself. Cover with grace and mercy everyone in this room that feels guilt and shame past the point of good guilt, the idea that, yeah, that's me, I'm wrong, I need Jesus. We know that you use that moment of guilt to cause us to see our error, but once guilt has done its thing, we pray that you would move it far from us and grace would pour in. In Jesus' name, amen.